How many of you love conflict? Raise your hand. No, no, just, you know, conflict in general. Um, you know, here's the thing is I did a, I did a major uh, paper on uh, these like five C's of, of leadership. And, and one is conflict. And so part of conflict is that it is good. Conflict is good because without conflict, you would never really grow. You would never change. Do you ever think about it in those ways or in those terms? That if I wasn't pressed to be better in my marriage, in my relationships, at work, if I didn't have a conflict there, I would, I'd settle for the status quo. But there are those things that happen in life with conflict that we just say, God, I could do without that, right? Did you have any of those happen this week? So turn to Acts 15, and before we get there, I'm going to share with you a story about someone that they had a bad week. They had, a real, they had too much conflict in their life. And some of you have heard me tell this story, but I don't think I've told it for about seven years. So, um, and and I, I snoped this. I went in and, uh, and checked it out. And so there are aspects of this that really are true. Okay? And, and the, I'll clarify at the end. But uh, <laughs> there was a couple, uh, older couple, and the gentleman was into motorcycles. Like really into motorcycles. And I'm not going to say what part of the country this might have been, but you figure it out. He decided to bring his motorcycle into the house because it was cold outside. And he decided to clean his, his carburetors, do a carburetor rebuild inside the house. And uh, so what was interesting is what happened. So he, he pushes his motorcycle from the patio into the living room where he began to clean the engine and these carburetors with some rags and a bowl of gasoline. Yeah, there's conflict already. When he finished, he sat on the motorcycle and decided to start it to make sure everything was still okay. Why not? Why not? So unfortunately, the bike started in gear and crashed through the glass patio door with him still clinging to the handlebars. His wife was working in the kitchen, so she came running because of all the noise and found him crumpled on the patio, badly cut from all the glass and, uh, and glass sticking in him. So she did the right thing. She called 911, and the paramedics transported the guy to the emergency room. So, you know, so far the story's kind of humorous, right? You're like thinking, okay, seriously, why would you do that? And, and you brought all that conflict on yourself, right? You know, you kind of deserve it. You're sitting in ER. Uh, so here's what's interesting. Later that afternoon, after he got stitches, um, his wife kind of brought him home, all pulled back together, right, like Humpty Dumpty, and, uh, and she puts him to bed. So she cleans up the mess in the living room, dumped a bowl of gasoline in the toilet. Yeah, they deserve each other. <laughs> Shortly afterwards, the husband woke up with all the trauma that was going on. And, and uh, so he lit a cigarette to relax himself. And then he took the next step to relax himself. And, uh, and he went into the bathroom. He sat down and he tossed the cigarette 
into the toilet, which promptly exploded because his wife had not flushed the gas down the toilet. The explosion blew the man through the bathroom. So the wife hears the second explosion of the day, and her husband screams. She ran into the hall and found him lying on the floor with his trousers blown away and his rear end burnt. The wife again ran to the phone and called the ambulance. The same two paramedics were dispatched to the scene. They loaded the husband on the stretcher and, and, uh, and started to carry him to the street. One of them asked the wife how the injury had occurred. When she told him, they began laughing so hard, they dropped the stretcher and broke the guy's collarbone. That's what you call a lot of conflict. Now, so that, that seems like, okay, really? Did that really happen? What really happened, by the way, Arthur Guthrie, Arlo Guthrie turned the original story into that story and wrote it into a song. So that's why we have this circulating around the internet. What actually happened is the husband was asleep and the wife was in the bathroom, saw a spider in the toilet, got freaked out by it, and promptly decided to empty an entire can of hairspray onto the spider in the toilet. The husband enters in, puts the cigarette in the toilet, and boom. So it, it really kind of did happen. I don't know about the paramedics and dropping the guy on the collarbone, but have you ever had a day like that? That there's just nonstop conflict. So interestingly enough, the church has been in that mode. And there are churches all around us that are in that mode. What I want to encourage you with today is that conflict isn't necessarily a difficult or wrong thing. When we see conflict, it's not necessarily the sense that someone has done something wrong or has sinned. A lot of the time, yes, that's true. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, husband, you should be listening to this. Um, and one going right back. Yeah, wife, this message is for you. Stop with the rib hits, okay? The, proce the process for us is not so much that conflict disrupts us and takes us down. It's what do we do when the conflict comes? What did the early church do when it was almost destroyed? What you're going to see today out of Acts 15 is, is one of the first times that the church was almost destroyed from within. How many of us have left a church because of conflict? How many of us are currently planning on leaving this church because of conflict? Go ahead, raise your hand. We'll have conflict right now. So this is a fascinating idea, this idea of conflict. Let me give you two ideas here about the health of conflict. Happiness is not the absence of conflict, but the availability to cope with it. Now, what we see Scripture teaching us is that the Holy Spirit gives us that ability. Amen? You are going to see that unfold in real time today with church leadership of the very first church. And it's fascinating how through the Holy Spirit, the conflict turned into unity. Brothers and sisters, to have a church that's unified. I met with someone last night who was asking a lot of questions about our church, and as I was trying to describe it to them, 
he said, wow, sounds like you have a really unified church. And I'm excited to say I, I believe we do. I sat back there Friday night and saw 60, 70 Egyptians in here listening to the word. And I heard the word Medina about 17 times. And, uh, and I heard Alikum about 17 times. And that's all I could tell you. Um, but what I did sense was the word of God going out and a unified people gathering around the word of God. These are brothers and sisters that are part of our church. And we unified with them to do this live action nativity. We're going to continue to unify with them over other things and shared ministry. There's other things that are coming that are very exciting. And I can't wait to reveal that God is working. God is doing. But even within our own church, there are things that can happen that cause conflict. I want you to learn from this this morning and see how we deal with that. So let me start out with, there's going to be three essences of how we struggle with conflict. One is legacy, the other is leadership, and the last, which is the answer, is lordship. So when we get into this idea of legacy, let me give you my definition. It, there, there's a lot of definitions, but for the sake of, of where we are today, this is what I'm going to hand you. The historical reputation, identity, and seminal accomplishments connected to persons, organizations, or objects of significance. So let's read in verse 1 of Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Conflict. Conflict. Unless you are a member of this church, you cannot be saved. I heard some chuckles. What's, what are we chuckling about? That's a shameless plug for membership. What I just said is not tr true or correct in any way, shape, or form. But in order to be part of this local body membership, you need to be in the church proper because you're a child of God. And, and that is something that goes not because of the leadership here or a legacy here. It's because this is what the Lord has defined. That's my church. That's my church. And so sometimes when we get into conflict, it's because of legacy. Well, what do I mean by that? Here you see a problem. There were individuals that came down. You've got Peter and Andrew and James and the apostles all doing work and people are coming to the Lord. They're coming to the Lord throughout the Holy Land, through Jerusalem, in Caesarea, uh, in Samaria, all over. And then Paul has his experience and there's people coming to the Lord in Damascus. There's disciples in Damascus. And then the, the church comes together in a very unified form. All different tongues, all different nations in Antioch. And they commissioned Barnabas and Paul and sent them out on a missions trip. And they're unified and they're unified. And, and so Paul and Barnabas go out on that first missions trip. We just finished it. And, and there was conflict all the time. But yet what did God do? God did incredible things that brought back something that challenged legacy. And so you had individuals that were still stuck into this mindset 
that we have to abide by what we have always done. Because that's the way it's done. And they became in competition with the disciples. I'm just going to take a moment here by myself and fix this. There we go. So they're in competition with the disciples because they see something that in their own hearts they have a conviction about. Have you ever gotten into conflict because of conviction? Yeah. Otherwise it wouldn't be conflict, would it? You see, everybody sees themselves right in their own eyes and in their own hearts. How many of us have been convinced that it's our responsibility to help them see the truth and the right way? Let me just help you understand here. It's not me. I don't need to see. That's who these guys are. And they're part of the circumcision party. And they see that things are changing and they're saying, no, no. Man, you guys are leaving out a major part of our legacy. And so we're going to make sure that people understand. So what do you do with legacy? Well, there's three things that I want to hand to you this morning. (coughs) Their identity was wrapped up in this. That this party, this group of people that came down and started preaching these things about you got to hold on to Moses. you got to hold on to the law if you're going to be saved, right? Their identity was wrapped up in that. And so now they're having an identity battle. Do we find ourselves in that position? Is your identity tied to your past or your future? Are you a legacy or are you making one? Secondly, culture. Their statement was this, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Unless you practice what we have always done, What has been the legacy? Look, it's it's in the Old Testament Scriptures. The problem is is that they weren't buying into what Jesus had preached. And I, I understand the conflict there. Probably many of these individuals never heard what Jesus spoke of. So they were having to hear it from the apostles. And it meant change. It meant change. We have what we call sacred cows, right? I remember when I when I, uh, uh, and if you have a sacred cow, no offense, okay, like a real cow that you consider sacred. When I candidated here, I remember sitting right over here on the stool, and a gentleman asked me a question about something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but then I was asked, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, what are your sacred cows? And nobody knew what I was talking about. And so I clarified, what is it we can't change here, folks? What is it that's so tied into legacy that I dare not touch or I'm going to offend people so badly that they will leave or we will have an all-out war? You know, there are those little things all over the place. You want to know why we'll never have a, a dedication rose garden? Because when someone stops attending to the dedication rose garden, that happens in a lot of churches, right? A lot of small churches. And then all the plants die out and they look really bad and then it needs to be attended to, and you take out those roses, you have now offended somebody who dedicated that rose plant to the memory and legacy of a loved one, and they say, how dare you? And they leave the church. It's happened here. There's your sacred cow. 
Now, we look at this, and we, we're very analytical, and we're very removed from it, and we're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I've heard about that happening over here. I've heard about that happening over here. What about in your own life? What are the things on a legacy level that your identity is tied to your past or future? Has your spouse ever said, oh, you sound just like your mom? Or you sound just like your dad? Now, if my wife were ever to say that to me, I would 100% take it as a compliment. Yes. You know, have you wondered why you do the things you do? There are some legacy things we have brought into our own identity that are just part of how we grew up. And there's that inevitable tie, right? How many of us grew up in our mid-20s saying, I will never be like my parents? Folks, let me give you a hint on that one, especially if you're in that age group. If you want an inheritance, don't say that publicly. <laughs> Just don't. But we get to that point, I'll never be, and you know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to be just like them because there is a legacy and you have this identity. Brothers and sisters, I have two banners behind us that was our theme last year. New creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because of Christ, we are new creations. There's a new legacy being written. And this was the conflict. This is where we find ourselves. Traditions feed into this as well. According to the custom of Moses, we can't move outside of what we've always done. By the way, sometimes there's value in legacy. Understand that, okay? Sometimes there's value in legacy. And sometimes there's value in tradition. When it comes to our culture, it's because of Jesus we have that new culture. It's a culture of spirit and in truth. But traditions that lead us into meaningful worship are powerful. Traditions that lead us into religious and institutional patterns are dangerous. Why do we do what we do? Here you have a conflict that the apostles have been doing the incredible works of God and another group that have always had the power come along and say, wait a minute, guys. There's a whole aspect here of according to our traditions, according to the custom of Moses, you're not teaching this and it needs to be taught so that we can still have our control. So we're heading into a battle, a battle royale. What's interesting about tradition, like I said, some traditions are, are wonderful, um, and some make you think. You just get there one day, right? You're saying, how did I get there? Um, I know how I got to the Starbucks drive-thru this morning, uh, because I do that drive way too often. As a matter of fact, I do it so often, they know my order ahead of time. And so, um, I won't say necessarily when it was, but maybe this morning, um, I pulled up to get my grande mocha, no whip, with one pump of raspberry. Oh, good. I heard somebody go, hmm, and I saw someone go, hmm. <laughs> so what's interesting is, for the first time ever, this gal says, hey, have you ever tried it with cherry? And I did what, what you did, Robin. I'm like, Ew. <laughs> no, why would I do that? But people are like, why do you put raspberry in it? And all of a sudden I realized, uh-oh, I'm the victim of my own what? Tradition. 
I'm the victim of my own tradition. And it's probably not a healthy one. We have these things all through our lives. Now, folks, some of that stuff, okay, it, it is what it is. But when it comes to our worshiping God in spirit and truth, which is our new culture, we need to make sure that our traditions line up with where Christ has us going. Amen? So that takes us to the next section, leadership. So here's my definition of leadership for today. The character of an individual or organization to respond to crisis or reward to affect the best possible outcome. Let's read verses 2 through 6. So here comes the boys. They come down, and they make this great claim that is demonstrative. It's not passive whatsoever. And it's saying, you must do this to be saved. Folks, that's, that's either it's heresy or it's truth when you're on this level. So this is very, very important stuff. This is worth going to battle over. All right? So what happens? Verse 2. Great leadership. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Hmm. Have you ever been in one of those? With a good friend? Maybe you're married to them. Maybe you've birthed them. Maybe you work for them. And it is no small discussion. And the fascinating thing about those discussions is that labor always knows more than management. Have you realized that? You're like, yeah, because I'm labor. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, because I'm management. It's nonstop complaints around here. We have conflict. And so Paul and Barnabas say this is a battle worth dying over. Because this has to do with someone's salvation. This has eternal consequences or ramifications. And so let's keep reading. And Paul, looking intently, I'm sorry, I just jumped to 14. Got another healing going on. So they had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Boom, the first conference for church guys. This is the first pastor's conference that ever happened. They got to stay in the Jerusalem hotel. They had turndown service probably. It was phenomenal. They caught an Uber donkey uh, to where the actual meeting was. It, it was great. Uh, they had PowerPoint with um, chalk on a wall. And, uh, and it was great. And there was a lot of like lights and, and uh, opportunities to sign up for things. Let me just tell you, I love those conferences. I went to that conference last week and I won. I actually won something. I, I stopped at a table to talk to somebody about some stuff for our church. And he said, would you take this survey? You could win an Amazon Echo. Not the little Echo Dot, but like the real big Echo, right? I found out last week I won and I just got it in the mail. And I, we had a ceremony at our house, and uh, a lot of music playing in the background, held it up like Simba, you know, all that, no. So here you got your first pastor's conference. They're going to gather as leadership. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Now, that's more referring to their whole first missionary journey, okay? But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, we have politics even back then. They're not Republicans, they're not Libertarians, they're not Democrats. They're the party of the Pharisees. It's phenomenal. They rose up and said, it is not, why would I do that voice? But I gotta, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. <laughs> right? Tradition, legacy. Why are you guys messing with this stuff? Come on, we're gonna lose our power, boys. You gotta stand up. Do you know that there's like 42 parties in the Knesset of Israel? 42 different parties. How do they get anything figured out? Yeah, you think we're... And so here you have this conflict in leadership. And they reiterate. They probably, probably some of the same guys. And they came knowing that this council was going to happen. So they stand up and they give their two cents. So what happens? The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate... Oh, those are fun. Those are fun when, when like the elders have to, you know, get together for stuff. When we have that congregational meeting and there's really something important like changing the name of the church, right? Or, or our national office gets together to talk about how we're going to adjust our, our belief statement. Took six years to make one micro adjustment. And maybe sometimes that's a good thing. But this is what we do. We get together and we battle with loggerheads. And sometimes it's because of legacy. But we just label that orthodoxy. Don't mess with the orthodoxy. Which, in a lot of ways, I agree with that. Unfortunately, these guys were hanging on to things that Jesus had what? He had set aside. He had perfected. They no longer had relevance under grace and mercy they had relevance in the sense of understanding God, in understanding their history. It wasn't totally irrelevant, but the practices were irrelevant. And so how many of us would let a person continue to go down a path of destruction? And that's why you have battle royale going on at this Jerusalem council. And so what happens? Well, when you look at leadership, Actually, let me finish verse 6, okay? Peter stood up. That's all, you, we just stopped there, right? Peter stood up and he said to them, now watch this. This is the first of three. Actually, number two of three. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of God of the gospel, I'm sorry, the word of the gospel and believe. What is he talking about? If I did my job, if I did uh, my salt at all as a preacher, you should know what I'm talking about, what Peter's talking about. What happened with Peter that caught him totally off guard with Gentiles where he preached the gospel and great work was done? 
Cornelius' house. And Peter learned more in that moment than he probably did in, in years of study and understanding. And so Peter stands up and he says, you know what happened when I went to Caesarea. You know what happened. In the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and what? Believe. And be circumcised and follow the customs of Moses. Right? He says that there. No, he doesn't say that. It's a complete sentence. It's done. It's over. He said, I preach the gospel. They believe. That's it. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them what? The Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter stands up and he says, there's a new thing in town. It is that which we measure all authority by. It is the gospel and the pairing of the gospel with the actions of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens in a, a very clear way, what business do we have to put traditional customs, legacy customs that Jesus abolished? Peter stood up. That's leadership. Let me give you three components of leadership that we should be looking at. Number one, courage to fail. Leadership speaks from conviction. I would have to think that Peter didn't have that great of a track record with some people, and if he's going to stand up, funny how if you're going to stand up, you become the object of criticism, right? If I want to hold on to my legacy, my traditions, and you stand up and you challenge those, we have a conflict, now what's my challenge? Is to discredit you. And Peter would have known this. We know it when we should stand up for something. And so sometimes we don't have the courage to fail. But when we have the conviction that this is what is right in the eyes of God, we have to stand up. Or people's souls are hanging in the balance. Leadership has the courage to fail. It's by no mistake I use that terminology because Nick Foles, uh, many of you know that name, is the uh, unassuming backup quarterback that just won the Super Bowl and was named MVP of the Super Bowl. Nick Foles has been studying to become a pastor um, out of Liberty University. And uh, he has bounced from team to team to team. And when you watch the Super Bowl last week, some of the throws he made, you're thinking, are you kidding me? How did you have, I mean, even the announcers were saying, how did you, ha how did he have the courage to make that throw? How did he have the courage to call Philly special, right? Special trick play where he becomes a receiver and he receives the ball. How did he have the courage? And he was told, he was asked that question afterwards in a press conference. And he just said, you have to have the courage to fail. If you don't have the courage to fail, you'll go nowhere. You'll go nowhere. Leadership needs to be bold. It needs to have courage. It needs to be strong. And that means that sometimes leadership will fail. Second, authority issues. 
Anybody out there have authority issues? Raise your hand. <laughs> authority issues. Oh my goodness, don't get us started. I was, I was in an interview last night with someone and, and we were getting dinner and, and I'm notorious for this, that uh, <laughs> we got to the dessert part of dinner, which is probably showing. And uh, they had ice cream Sunday. Now my wife's gonna laugh, she knows exactly where I'm going with this. I have a childhood memory, it's a legacy thing for me, where our family always went out on Sunday afternoons with the pastor and his wife and we went to Howard Johnson's. Remember Hojo's? And there was a buffet. And at the end, if I finished my plate, I got this chocolate sundae. And it was in this big carafe like this, right? Farrell's had them too, remember Farrell's? It's like this, it was like three scoops of vanilla ice cream I'm going to make you hungry. Chocolate sauce all around it, nuts, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. Whenever I go somewhere, I talk to the waitress and I say, look, I see you have a Sunday. Could you describe it to me? I kid you not. This happened last night. And she said, well, it's got some, you know, vanilla ice cream and, and some nuts. I said, oh. And she said, is everything okay? I said, no, it's not. It's not okay. I said, look, I have this childhood memory. <laughs> and it would make me so happy if what you could do actually is, is uh, you know, put the vanilla ice cream in there. Do you have chocolate? Yeah, I got Put some chocolate sauce on that. And do you have whipped cream? No, I don't have it. Oh, deal off. I don't want it. I can't have it. She's like, really? I said, yeah, I, seriously, I can't do it. She goes, I'll go to the bar and I'll get whipped cream from them. We're back on, okay? So she gets the whipped cream, she gets the, the chocolate sauce, and the cherry. she put four cherries on it. And it was just beautiful. And there's just a warmth that happens for me. I have real authority issues when that waitress comes to me and says, no, we can't do it that way. It's just not right. You're telling me I can't have what I want. Now, I use a really dumb story to get the point across, right? These Pharisees, these of the Pharisaical party, the circumcision party, they had authority issues because guess what? There was a balance and transfer of power. And where is the power now? Now, some would say it's with the apostles, but it's not. The power was with Christ and Christ alone. And that's going to be our third point here as we, we work into that. But the power is with the Holy Spirit. You heard Peter say, look, I moved down and, and I preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit responded and they believed. He didn't talk about all the things he did necessarily. He's pointing to the power of the gospel and he's pointing to the Holy Spirit. Leadership does a great job of recognizing where true authority comes from and working within that authority. If we don't like our government, what can we do? We can rebel. We can blog about it. I'll just stop. I'll stop. You can vote them out. You can't do that here, but anyway. Third point. Yes, you can. The third point is hubris versus humility. Leadership speaks not of its own. 
Leadership, I'm reading a great book called Three Days in January. It's about Ike and the transfer of power over to John Kennedy. And for an era that I just barely missed, it's incredible the difference of, of how the, the, uh, the editor displays the accounts of Ike's humility versus the hubris, the pride and the arrogance of Kennedy. So much so that the day before the balance of tran- or the transfer of, of power, they're meeting together in the Oval Office. And at that time in our country, some of you may be old enough to remember this, Ike's concern was everything that was being marketed had missiles on it. Serial had missiles on it. And it was all about a giant arms race against Russia. Now you're talking about one of the greatest generals ever. And he had huge concern about where this was going for our country. And the amount of money that was going into it. One of our generals, the, the, the architect of D-Day. And that was how Kennedy won, by the way. As he talked a huge talk about build up and build up and build up. So it was a huge concern to Ike. And so here they're sitting alone in the Oval Office. And he says, would you like to see real power? And John JFK said, sure. And so he hits his little intercom. I don't know the code, but it's like, you know, Blue 32 Bakersfield Special on 8. Go. Or something like that, right? Ollie Ollie Oxifree. I don't know. But the next thing you know, the Marine with the security nuke codes walks through the door. And within three minutes, Air Force Two helicopter has landed on the White House lawn. And Kennedy just sat there with just this look on his face of the power of the office. And Ike did it on purpose to teach him. You hold the power over the free world. You need to approach it with humility. Who do we know that holds the power over eternity? And yet he came as a child as a baby and was born in humble circumstances and sacrificed himself. Jesus was the ultimate in humility. Can I encourage you? Good leadership practices humility. What did we just see Paul and Barnabas doing? Suffering for the cause of others. Suffering for the cause of others. Hubris versus humility. The last thing I want to leave you with is this, lordship. And lordship is this. The recognition by individuals or groups that Jesus holds supreme authority over all facets of life and eternity. So I'm going to take you to the third conversation that happens here. Now this says verses 7 through 11, but I'm going to take you a little bit further. All right. So verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Again, God doing incredible work. Where's the authority? The authority is with God. The authority is with the signs and wonders. The authority is with the message of the gospel. We're not going to talk about who we are. We're going to talk about what God did and let you wrestle with that. And they were amazed. They were amazed. But they weren't done. After they finish speaking, that's Paul and Barnabas, a third leader stands up. And he says this. This is James. 
James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. This is brilliant. This is like talking flappers and ball joint valve Fetzer valves with Scott Parkinson, right? This is like talking engineering and chemical reactions with Dale. This is like talking the beautiful life of raising a a wonderful child with Treya. I'm going to stop now before I get myself in trouble. James is sitting there and he hears this testimony by Peter. He hears it by by Paul and Barnabas. You would think enough is enough. But the Holy Spirit told James, hit them what they know. Take them to what they know. Take them to what they will accept that they're ignoring. Use not your authority. Use the Scripture's authority. Use God's authority. This is incredible leadership that is actually what? It is lordship. If you will not appeal to what we are doing, if you will not change your thinking according to what your leaders are saying and doing, then change it based off of what God is doing. This is how you handle conflict, brothers and sisters. So James takes them to the words of the prophets, and he says this in 16, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from old. The end of the story is this, that the church determined that there was no need for any believer to live by the customs of Moses. And this first conference, this first pastor's conference resulted in great joy and James gives some great instruction and he says what and you're going to hear this at the end in in our worship you're going to hear the scripture towards the end James makes a recommendation he says let's send Paul and Barnabas back out again let's send some other brothers to the churches to the new believers and let's send a letter from us because they're looking for leadership from us they're looking for an opinion from us and let's write in this letter what we decided can I read that to you in closing So when we get to lordship, I want you to understand this. Lordship mitigates legacy. Lordship mitigates legacy. When there are legacies that we want to hold on to that have nothing to do with our spiritual growth, with moving forward, with writing a new legacy, they have nothing to do with God. Folks, we need to let go of those legacies. Let them just be historical facts. Don't let them rule over us in tradition. Jesus makes us new. Amen? Lordship informs leadership. That when your leaders are looking to God, when they're looking to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures for authority and for help in understanding and making choices, their authority is the Lord. It's not their own. And the beauty of that is it takes it out of the realm of my opinion versus your opinion. And we unify around the Lord's opinion. That's why this is an important point. Lordship is credible because of what? Because of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas, 
James, and Peter all speak of the one thing that these Pharisees could not deny, the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to change people. Amen? As opposed to my messages, you have to practice all these customs to, to be saved. No, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That's the indicator that they're saved. And all of this is not made up by the leadership or the apostles. They look to the Lord for the authority. Can I encourage you to go down that path? Let me finish with saying this. Every day you are faced with vast choices. Your most important choice is how you will decide, not what you will decide. Let me say that again. Every day you are faced with vast choices. Your most important choice is how you will decide, not what you will decide. What will rule the day for you? Legacy, leadership, or lordship? All are important and have value. But ultimately, one rises above the others for kingdom results. I'm not done with the message. I'm done preaching. But I'm not done with the message because you're going to hear the end of the story during our worship through music when we read the scripture. What happened? What happened for the church? What happened for the church in Antioch, in Syria, in Damascus, in Lystra, Asia Minor? They're all waiting with bated breath. What is it we're supposed to do to be saved? Because these guys are telling us, what are we going to do? Is the gas tax really going to pass? My daughter Gentry was so upset about the gas tax as a new driver. She's ready to kick them all out of Congress. So here you have all these new believers saying, do we have confidence in our leadership? Do we have confidence in God? What do we do? So James says, let's send him a letter reflecting what happened here. And you're going to see what happened as a result when we read those things. Let me go ahead and pray. And then we're going to engage. Father, thank you this morning for the power of what is recorded here about the early church and the conflict that happened that really solidified what it means to be saved. It really solidified the beauty and the message of what it means to be saved. Thank you that it was because of your authority that there was clarity and that there was hope and there was joy amongst the church as it grew, as it proliferated, but that it wasn't torn apart by salacious instruction and greed. May we be unified as a church underneath your authority, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.